we are live and streaming with uh, Mr. Brandon Hall here. Brandon was referred to me by one of our coaching students, Antonio. So thank you for the referral, Antonio. I know he's in the middle of a, a little boot camp that Brandon puts on. So uh, Brandon is a um, tax expert when it comes to all things real estate. So uh, kind of unusual. A lot of times we struggle finding somebody that really knows their stuff when it comes to real estate and taxation. I've been to a lot of accountants and I start talking real estate and they <laughs> tell me things that I know are wrong. And so it's really exciting to have a guy like you on here, Brandon, that can really educate the team. No, I appreciate, appreciate you inviting me on and also appreciate Antonio's referral and uh, happy to happy to chat with everybody. So yeah, we're yeah, going to so hit some tax topics today. Yeah, tax topics, which, you know, it's our silent partner, Uncle Sam. Uh, we don't often think about them until it's too late. <laughs> but right now is a good time because we're, you know, almost at the end of the year. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, just in general, how agents may want to structure their businesses and maybe some things that they should be thinking about at year end, but also get into some investor kind of conversations. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Let's talk about Let's talk about structures, though, because this is one thing I think a lot of agents make a mistake. They just run their business as a sole proprietor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, in, in first, before we launch, why why should you listen to me? Uh, I am yeah. a CPA. <laughs> Good question. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am a CPA. I run a firm called The Real Estate CPA. We have 23 total staff. And we only work with real estate investors uh, or real estate business owners like agents, builders, developers, wholesalers, that type of thing. Um, we have about 780 clients across the nation. So we've, we've wow. seen it all, we've done it all. And, uh, and, and, and we, we help our, um, our agents and brokers with their business structuring all the time. So on the, the topic of structuring, the first thing that I tell everybody to do, everybody, and this is really not just limited to agents. It's, it's really yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're going to run a business, set up an LLC. Right. It, it costs you 150 bucks. You can self-file on the Secretary of State website for whatever state you 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 live in. You set up an LLC. Um, now, technically, you need an operating agreement to like really bulletproof it and all that stuff, and that costs more. But the basic set up an LLC. You get a, it's 150 dollars for the filing. You go onto the IRS's website. You get an EIN, employer identification number, and then with that EIN, you can go and get a business checking account set up. So you can go to any bank and as long as you have the EIN and they can verify that it's it's uh, filed with the state, they'll give you a bank account. And so you start running everything through that bank account. You can get a business credit card if, if you're allowed to, but you run everything, all of your income, all of your expenses go through that bank account. Now, what has this just done? Uh, first, it's consolidated all of your expenses into a business account and all of your income into a business account. We don't, we don't have any commingling anymore. And there are people out there, the, the, the attorneys out there that will tell you, hey, you can't commingle because that sets up a whole bunch of liability issues, which I believe to be true. But we're not going to go into that necessarily. I'm just talking about from a pure accounting organization standpoint, when I have one business account, it's a heck of a lot easier to, to figure out what my total net income was, net income's revenue minus all my expenses, a lot easier to figure that out if it's just in one account versus, you know, I'm spending on my three different credit cards and, and in my three separate bank accounts. And now it's just a really hard thing to track. Messy. Yeah. Very yeah. messy. So step so one. I, I have a question for you on this topic because I get this from agencies. Is there a threshold? Like, does you you're, are you saying from day one we should just do this? Even if we're a brand new agent, just do it. Not if day you get one. Twenty or thousand or fifty thousand or whatever. Yep. 
just day one, just to clean it up, right? Day one. Yep. Just to, because if you're, if you're an agent and you're going to take this seriously, now you could take it not seriously and not set up an LLC and that's cool too. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to take this seriously and you, if you want to, and I would recommend you take it seriously because this is going to be a way that you earn money and anything that you do to earn money, you should take extremely seriously. Uh, but but if you're going to take this seriously, you set up an LLC, you don't necessarily have to do it like before you, um, uh, before you like really start going out there as an agent, you don't necessarily need to do that, but you for sure need to do it before you get that first commission check. Yeah. Before that first commission check hits your bank, it needs to be hitting a business bank and you need to have that LLC set up. Not a sole prop business bank, an actual LLC business bank set up. Now, we talked about the organization piece. So it definitely helps like kind of curtail the chaos and manage the mess. But the second thing that this does when you set up that LLC is it allows us, us being tax advisors, the flexibility to retroactively tax your LLC as an S corporation. Mm. And in that, to answer your, your question about the income thresholds, you do want to hit income thresholds before we do that. Typically 50, 60, $70,000, depending on where you're located. Before you do the S election, is that what you're saying? Before you do the S election, yeah. Got it, okay. So what a lot of people do, uh, or where a lot of people make mistakes, is they'll earn like, like it's November right now, right? <clears throat> so let's say they've already earned $80,000 of commissions and they have another 50,000 coming in in November and December. They crushed it, Q4. And then they call the CPA up and they're like, okay, how do I offset my whole, my, my $130,000 of commissions? How do I, how do I mitigate tax on this 130K? And as a CPA, I go, cool. Um, we can definitely do this. We can set up an S corporation. Uh, where, when did you set your LLC up? And the mistake people make is they say, oh, I haven't set an LLC up yet. I'm going to set one up now. And then I, I have to tell them, well, you can set one up now. But it's only the S corporation can only go as far back as the date that you set your LLC up. Oh, so got it. your, your $80,000 that you've already earned up to this point is totally exposed. We can't do anything with that. Yeah. Mm. The remaining 50 K that you're going to earn in November and December here, we can shelter. Sure. Um, but, but that's just important to know. So, so we can, if you, if you had set up the LLC before you started earning commissions or as of January 1st, this time of year, we can also take a look at your net income and decide if we do want to retroactively tax your LLC as an S corp. Because another mistake people make is they go on LegalZoom and they set up the LLC and they immediately tax it as an S corporation. Well, the beautiful thing about an LLC, if it's a single member LLC, the only cost to you is the $150 upfront Secretary of State filing fee and then the annual $50 renewal, depending on whatever state you live in. Um, that's the only cost to you. But when you set up an S corporation, now you're going to incur a $1,500 minimum tax return fee uh, for like, well, our, our firm's a little bit higher. Most of my colleagues are around that $1,500 price point. So imagine setting up an LLC, immediately taxing it as an S corporation, and then only earning $3,000 of commissions, right? right? Yeah, that, all of a sudden, <laughs> it's pretty, it is a pretty costly decision. Right. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to set the LLC up and then have the S corporation conversation with you in November Got when it. most of your income has already come in. Because then we you can, can, you can retroactively go back on that. It's from exactly. the data LLC creation, right? Exactly. And Got we can it. literally do a cost benefit analysis for you at that point. So we can, mm. we can literally put it in Excel and show you exactly what it's going to look like. If, and just so people are clear about this, if you're not electing go S, then it's just treated as a flow through to your normal income, right? 
Yep. It'll yeah, just it's flow right, right through to your schedule C. Yeah. Uh, and the whole purpose of the S corporation is to avoid your 15.3% self-employment tax on your earned income. So when you're an employee, you, you earn your W-2 wage, you pay your marginal, your ordinary income taxes on that, whatever your marginal rate is, plus half of FICA taxes, which is a 7.65% tax. That's, that's your half as an employee. People forget, though, that the employer is paying the other 7.65% of FICA taxes. Um, and, and so when you become the employer, you are treated as the employer and the employee. So you get the you get the awesome benefit of paying both halves of those taxes. So you have to pay a fifteen point three percent tax on every single dollar that you earn, net income, not gross, net. Mm-hmm. So we can write things off and reduce our exposure. But it's a fifteen point three percent tax plus your marginal tax plus state taxes. So you can wow. like if you're earning enough, you can find yourself in a fifty percent or so marginal tax bracket. If, I've if, done it. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. You have to. (laughs) (laughs) So you set the S corporation up to avoid it because the S corporation, like if I earned a hundred thousand dollars net income, yeah. um, If I don't have an S corporation, I'm going to pay a fifteen thousand three hundred dollars self employment tax on that hundred k of net income. If I have an S corporation, I could pay myself, and we'll just use easy numbers for this example. But I could pay myself a fifty thousand dollar W two wage. And then the remaining $50,000, because I had 100K of net profit, the remaining 50K is just a cash distribution to me or dividend to me. That dividend avoids the 15.3% tax. I've had the same conversation with some top people that have joined me over the years. And, you know, when, when we use the hundred thousand dollar, it's like, well, that's a trip to Hawaii. That's funding an IRA. It's a lot of money, but then yeah. you get up to like three or four or $500,000 that some yeah. of these agents are a million dollars that they're earning. I mean, now you're talking about a lot of money. I mean, it's not, it's not chump change. It's a yes, lot of money. Yes. It gets pretty significant, pretty fast. Right. Um, now one, one actual uh, potential twist to this entire thing is in the proposed Build Back Better plans. We're recording this um, middle November, so it hasn't been passed yet. But in the proposed plan, the net investment income tax, it's a 3.8% surtax on your investment income. The proposal is to expand that 3.8% to hit those cash dividends that I just talked about. Mm -hmm. So if you run an S corporation, you won't be able to avoid the full 15.3% um, on those cash dividends that are coming out, you will you will also be subject to that three point eight, an additional surtax of three point eight percent, assuming that the Build Back Better plan passes as it is. Mm-hmm. So S corps become a little bit less valuable. So let's talk. You brought up something that that I think a lot of realtors don't necessarily tune into, which is we're talking about net dollars is where your taxation starts. So the difference between what your gross commissions coming in and net dollars is a big gap there. What are, what are some things that you think commonly are just screwed up by realtors all the time? Like they're missing these opportunities. Honestly, it's just documentation. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you, when you're in business, you are able to deduct any sort of business expense that's ordinary and necessary to run your business. So no, you, you can't go and deduct your handgun because while it might be necessary, it's probably not ordinary, right? When they look at all the agents, you can't right. deduct your guard dog because again, while it might be necessary, <laughs> probably not ordinary. You can't deduct the $500 lavish meal because while it's ordinary, 
it's not necessary, right? So, yeah. so you have to kind of go through that. But all these expenses can be business expenses. And, and the really critical piece is to first just understand, uh, like get a little bit of educate. You don't need extensive education, but just a little bit of education on what you can deduct and then just start tracking it. The, the biggest piece of this is the system that tracks those expenses. Mm. That's why I emphasize that bank account thing up front because you know, that, that's the biggest mistake that we see in, in, in all, I'll give you an example. So we get to tax season, right. And we're preparing tax returns. An agent comes to us and they, they give us their QuickBooks profit and loss statement. We start keying it all in. Then we hand them their tax return and then they go, Oh, Oh, I forgot about all of my meals. Let me go get all of those real quick. And then they send that back and then we add that and they go, Oh, Oh, um, I forgot about all my education expenses that I was doing. Oh, I forgot about my my home office. And so it's just like, well, what else are you forgetting? I, I mean, we're happy to continue modifying this for you to, to get these legitimate business expenses in there. Mm-hmm. But if that is how you approach tax season, then you need a better system for expense management mm-hmm. because you're likely missing things. If, if If you get a tax return back and you're like, I don't like that result or that doesn't feel right, if that's your reaction, then you need a better expense management system because you, there should be no surprises. You should get a tax return back and say, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. Um, oh, is and- one of those uh, systems is just having a business credit card and putting everything on that credit card. I mean, that's a simple yeah. system, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very simple. How <laughs> right? uh, much yep. more simple. I know there's some things you might not be able to pull off with that, but in general, that's a pretty simple system, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, business credit card, run everything through it. You can use a like an app called Expensify, like Expensify, something like that. Yeah. Um, actually, so we've been using for my CPA firm uh, a new, um, was it like a new merchant credit card supplier called Ramp R A M P, and uh, it's phenomenal, like like wow. absolutely phenomenal. I, I don't know if they have limitations on how much you need to be cash flowing, but mm-hmm. but if you can go check that out because it's got the expense management all built into it. Wow, uh, it's it's really 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 cool. I've used Expensify as well on on that app, and that's that's an easy system to use as well. So yeah. those are two good ones. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. Track your miles, like real estate agents. You do a lot of travel, right? So mm-hmm. get an app like Mile IQ. Track your track all your trips. Uh, that, that's an easy one too. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about because a lot of realtors are investors and a lot of realtors represent investors and how that can. Uh, impact their taxes. Um, I'm an investor. So one of the things that I think, and I know you're an expert in this, but one of the things I think is often missed is the passive loss rules for realtors. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people are like, what does that mean? <laughs> Let's explain that for a second. And you're the expert. Yeah. On this. Well, um, I, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, because if you understand it, you've like hit the apex, the, the apex of tax planning and wealth building. Uh, so do you remember reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad's? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he talks about his quadrants. And look, if you understand the passive activity rules, you can quite legitimately not pay tax. You have to understand them and you have to understand what investments need, you need to be making to avoid the taxation on all of your other income. But if you understand these rules, you can legitimately not pay tax. So the way that it works, passive activity rules. This is section 469 of the Internal Revenue Code. And what this what this rule this rule was implemented or this section was implemented in 1986. The purpose of of its implementation was to av- limit people's ability to buy 
rental properties and have the rental losses offset all of their other income. So they, they made these rules that say rentals are passive and passive losses cannot offset my other non-passive income. So every single dollar that you earn goes into one of two buckets. It either goes into the passive bucket or it goes into the non-passive bucket, every single dollar. So your real estate agent, brokerage commissions, that all goes into the non-passive bucket because you materially participate in that business. So it's not a passive activity. So it goes in the non-passive bucket. Your interest that you earn, dividends, capital gain from stock sale, all of that goes into the non-passive bucket. I know that's a little weird, but that's the way that these rules are written. It goes into the non-passive bucket. The only income that's going, the, the only income or losses going into the passive bucket are all of your rental activities. So rentals by default are passive. And any trader business that you don't materially participate in goes into the passive bucket. Now, what does that mean? Uh, there are there are quantitative tests for all of this, which we can get into if you want, but at a high level, if I'm not working in the day-to-day of a business, if I don't have voting rights, if I'm not making management decisions, I'm not going to be materially participating. So I could go put $100,000 into some hair salon investment. Maybe they need it for expansion. And every year they give me a $10,000 profit share. So that $10,000 that I receive is passive income. It goes into my passive bucket because all I did is give them capital. I I didn't participate. Um, So that's passive. My rentals are all passive as well. And my rent, this is where it gets tricky because my rentals are passive. Even if I can, even if I materially participate a lot, um, if I'm not careful with the rules. So when my rental is passive, let's say I go buy a hundred thousand dollar rental property and, and I cost segregate it. A cost segregation study is the practice of allocating value between all the components that make up your building, right? When I buy a building for $100,000, I don't just literally buy the building. I buy all the windows, the carpets, the appliances, everything that goes into the building. So a cost segregation study is the practice of allocating the purchase price to all of those components. And at the end of that cost segregation study, we're going to have something called bonus depreciation. And bonus depreciation is going to create a tax loss for us in the first year of operations because I might have $10,000 of rental income and I might have $8,000 of hard expenses. So I've got a $2,000 net operating income, right? 10 minus eight, 2K. 2K hit my pocket, that's my cash flow. But I get to tell the IRS that since it's my first year of ownership and I did this cost segregation study on this $100,000 home, I get to tell the IRS that I have like $20,000 of depreciation expenses. And so now I'm netting that out against my cash flow. I've got an $18,000 taxable loss. Now it's not an actual loss because 2K actually hit my pocket, right? So two th- I have two, I'm $2,000 richer. I can go to the grocery store and buy, buy things for my 2,000 bucks. But I get to tell the IRS that I lost $18,000 thanks to the bonus depreciation. The problem is that that $18,000 loss flows into my passive bucket. And all my other income is in my non-passive bucket, my business income and all that stuff. And they they can't offset. I have to move that $18,000 loss out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket in order for it to offset my other income. Now, I can do that in a number of different ways. The most prominent way is to qualify as a real estate professional. 
Now, this is not like uh, I'm, I'm a real estate agent and I get to go put on LinkedIn that I'm a real estate professional. Not that. You got to hit the IRS qualifications for a real estate professional. To qualify as a real estate professional, you have to spend 750 hours in a real property trader business and more time in real property trades or businesses than you do anywhere else. That latter test, more time in real estate than anywhere else, kicks out anybody with full-time jobs. If I have a full-time W-2 job, there's no way that I can spend more time in real estate than I do at my job. But if I'm a full-time real estate agent, then that, that's all I do. So I, I hit that test more time in real estate than anywhere else because that's what I'm doing full-time. I also hit the 750-hour test, presuming that I, uh, or assuming that I meet, meet that, and assuming that I spend more than 750 hours. So I'm a real estate professional if I'm a real estate agent. Uh, tax, per, t- tax, tax status real estate professional. Now, with, real, with rental properties, you have to qualify as real estate professional first. And then you have to show that you materially participated in your rental properties. So if you can qualify as a real estate professional and show that you materially participated, then you can move that $18,000 loss out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket, and it can offset your real estate agent income. And that $18,000, that that $18,000 tax loss, I mean, think about that. If you're in in roughly like the 30% or so brackets, I mean, you're talking about what, 6,000 bucks in in, in federal tax savings, plus Mm -hmm. whatever state, whatever the state's going to give you, assuming that it conforms to real estate professional status. Um, but, but the mistake that we see agents make, so, so this is huge, right? Because if you're a real estate agent, you're already a real estate professional if you're doing it full time. Um, and that's big because real estate professional status is hard to achieve. Like, like we work with a lot of clients that are not running a real property trader business full time. They've got like a part-time job or their spouse is staying at home and they're trying to get their spouse to go qualify for this status. And, and it, t- it just takes a lot of time. So it's hard to actually qualify for. So, so you are, th- are given this bone because you're already doing it. Right. So you're, you already hit that. The mistake is forgetting that you also have to materially participate in your rentals. So we see a lot of real estate agents, a lot of real estate builders, developers, people who are already going to qualify as a real estate professional. We see a lot of them buy rental properties as they should, but then immediately hand the rental properties over to a property management company. Mm-hmm. So you're a real estate professional, but you didn't materially participate in your rentals. So they're still passive. And that loss is trapped in that passive bucket. So you got to qualify as a real estate professional. You have to also materially participate in your rentals. And if you can do those two things, you will move your rentals out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket. And, and then it's just an acquisition strategy after that. It's just how much property can I buy in any given year? Because that's going to increase the tax loss that I move into the non-passive bucket and it's going to further save me money. So you could truly, and that's why I always talk to agents about, uh, about buying real estate. You could truly, if you get to a point, offset your entire income with rental losses if you uh, are really aggressive about it on that side. I mean, it's, it's a big number to get to, but you can do it. I mean, it's, it's possible to do. It's crazy. We, we, we have clients that do it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's the passive loss rules for realtors, which is uh, something I think a lot of people have no idea about. <laughs> <laughs> so Brandon, uh, really good information here. If somebody wants to dig deeper into this and they're like, okay, this guy is singing my song. I want to know more about how I can maximize tax savings. How can people find you and get a hold of you? 
So you can go to therealestatecpa.com. That's our that's our firm's website. We actually have a guide on real estate professional status. Uh, it's a 12,000 word guide, so it's definitely not light reading, <laughs> but it does answer literally every question that you would possibly have. And, uh, and we, we give that away for free. You can download it as well. Um, it, we also have a Facebook group called uh, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. So if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors, you'll find us. And we've got almost 5,000 uh, investors and business owners in there right now that we're helping out, all real estate based. So. Nice. And then just as a side note, you also have some classes out there that people can attend too. That's what one Antonio is taking, I think, right now. Yeah, yeah. So we we're actually we're running our first tax smart boot camp. I've run some courses in the past, but uh, but this is our first kind of boot camp, a little bit quicker, a little bit harder hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and every week we we have pre recorded video content that we drop and a live Q and A with me for all, everybody that's in attendance. And we'll probably run our next one maybe springish or so. Great. Okay. Well, Brandon, you have a lot of great information there. I, I love that you're, you are very concise. You give it to us how it is. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm going to encourage everybody to go check out the website and uh, jump into his materials. Thank you. Brandon. Thanks, Jim. Have I a great appreciate day. it.